we like to be, I guess, a brand that's known in your home, you know, household name. Um, we like to, again, develop other products in other similar categories, create change in our community. We're really focused on youth entrepreneurship as well as feeding, you know, those that are hungry and, and underserved communities. So I'd say that's the future. I'm creating opportunities for our employees, stakeholders, partners, um, and really, again, just changing the world one apple at a time. Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with Ethan Holmes. Ethan is the founder and CEO of Holmes Mouthwatering, a Cleveland-based manufacturer of all-natural applesauce made with Ohio-grown apples, pears, and local apple cider. To date, 50,000 customers have purchased and consumed Holmes products, processing over 500,000 pounds of apples and delivering over 250,000 units to consumers across the U.S. Holmes mouthwatering applesauce can be found in retailers including Heinen's, Whole Foods Market, Kroger, and Giant Eagle, amongst many others. Inspired by his grandfather, who always had made food at home and from scratch, when Ethan was 15 years old, he asked him how to make applesauce, and this passion was born. Armed with 100 pounds of apples that his parents gifted him for Christmas that year, Ethan chopped, cooked, and experimented until his recipe was perfect. Over a decade later, with national expansion, over 800000 in capital from programs like Cleveland Chain Reaction and the Chobani Incubator, it was a ton of fun to hear from Ethan about his journey building homes mouthwatering and the work he's doing to inspire the next generation of Cleveland entrepreneurs through his own initiatives. So please enjoy my conversation with Ethan Holmes after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by John Carroll University's Bowler College of Business, widely recognized as one of the top business schools in the region. As we've heard time and time again from entrepreneurs here on Lay of the Land, many of whom are proud alumni of John Carroll University, success in this ever-changing world of business requires a dynamic and innovative mindset, deep understanding of emerging technologies and systems, strong ethics, leadership prowess, acute business acumen, all qualities nurtured through the Bowler College of Business. With four different MBA programs of study, spanning professional, online, hybrid, and one-year flexible, the Bowler College of Business provides flexible timelines and various class structures for each MBA track, including online, in-person, hybrid, and asynchronous, all to offer the most effective options for you, including the ability to participate in an elective international study tour, providing unparalleled opportunities to expand your global business knowledge by networking with local companies overseas and experiencing a new culture. The career impact of a Bowler MBA is formative and will help prepare you for this future of business and get more out of your career. To learn more about John Carroll University's Bowler MBA programs, please go to business.jcu.edu. The Bowler College of Business is fully accredited by AACSB International, the highest accreditation a college of business can have. So it's... uh. Mm -hmm. It is fall, yep. my favorite time of year, exactly. and uh, 
<laughs> well, this weekend I went apple picking at uh, Patterson's Fruit Farm with okay. some friends. Okay, it's my favorite places in Cleveland for sure. It's one of the best. Definitely. And uh, you know, obviously, we picked a lot of apples. Right, right. And while we were there, uh, what came up in in conversation mm-hmm. was the set of possible things we could do with <laughs> apples. Right. Uh, you know, having this abundance of apples, mm-hmm. applesauce came up right away mm-hmm. as this space of things that we could do with apples. Mm-hmm. And it came up that like, if you think about applesauce, no one has really tried to do anything creative or, or innovative there beyond kind of the, I think, nostalgic memories that folks had right. about the Goliath brands, which we'll talk about that, that right. kind of own this space. And I was really excited because mm-hmm. I, I knew that we were going to be sitting down today to talk about right. this. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, have you guys heard of Holmes mouthwatering right. uh, applesauce? Great segue. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they're innovating. Mm-hmm. It's happening. So Definitely. it's a lot of white space in that market for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I was, uh, yeah, excited to have you on the podcast to share your Thank story you. and, and kind of. I'm uh, excited to be here. So appreciate it. Amazing. So to, to start can you just tell us a little bit about you know, okay. who you are and uh, yeah. Yeah. So my name is Ethan Holmes. I'm from Shaker Heights, Ohio, and I am the founder and CEO of Holmes Mouthwatering. We're an Ohio-based brand providing home-style inspired applesauce and real fruit products. Um, and I actually founded the company in 2008 here in Northeast Ohio after having a huge interest in entrepreneurship as a student. Uh, my grandfather showed me how to make the applesauce. I then spent a year innovating it and bring it to the market. Yeah, amazing. Could you share a little bit more about that that inspiration from, yeah, from your grandfather? Definitely. Um, so I had this huge interest in entrepreneurship, I think, just from when I was born. That was lemonade stands, raking leaves. Um, I really liked kind of being your own boss, um, that whole feel. So I went to my grandfather who could make anything from scratch. He lived with us. He's retired. And he showed me how to actually peel the apples, you know, core them, slice them, boil them, and make this applesauce. Um, so that was kind of like the beginning for sure. Amazing. You mentioned lemonade stands. I feel like for so many of us, the first kind of real world entrepreneurial experience comes from right. that, that endeavor. Yep. Uh, it's like that, you know, rite of passage. And part of that whole experience, you know, before you go up and set, your, set up your table on the street is, you know, you got to go in and fine tune the, exactly. the, the recipe and the balance, you know, mm-hmm. squeezing the lemon, getting right, the right 100%. mix of sugar in there. And we call that R&D, you know, in my industry for sure. So a lot of R&D. Yeah, yeah. Well, so in the earliest days of, of you know, working with your grandfather, mm-hmm. how did you guys actually go through the process of, yeah, of that R&D? You know, yeah, iterating, so, making sure you were on the, and the right track. And being fully honest, we only probably did two sessions in that kitchen and the rest was me for a year. And so he actually just showed me how to wash the fruit, boil it uh, or peel it, slice it, core it, boil it. And from there, I was like, OK, this is homemade, but it's not my mouthwatering idea that I want to bring to life. He then went on to be doing what he was doing, you know, as, as my grandfather. And I said, well, then let me focus on this every week, every weekend, trying to make this applesauce into my own formulation. So that's kind of like how it came about. Again, it took a year. I didn't have a lot of money. Anytime I could get my hands on fruit, I would, you know, I would go to my parents. Yeah, yeah. And I remember even asking them for um, apples for Christmas because they're like, Ethan, we're tired of giving you $20 every week. <laughs> and I remember going back to school and everybody was like, what'd you get for Christmas, Ethan? I was like, oh, uh, apples. And they're like, oh, you got a new iPhone? He must have, or a MacBook? No, the fruit. So um, that's how creative I was. And then every time I would do a formulation, I'd put it on my refrigerator and come back just to innovate it. 
How did you know that you were on the the right track? Great, great question. Um, I remember calling an orchard and they said, you should try Golden Delicious. And then I called another orchard and they said, you should try apple cider. And then someone said, maybe even throughout pears or even that, maybe that was an accident that I came across. But by doing that, I realized it created this sweet balance with no added uh, sugar or artificial ingredients. And people loved it. It wasn't too tart, but it also uh, preserved that sweetness through, through the apples. So from the business standpoint, when you reflect a bit on the journey so far, what was what was your first big break? Uh, first big break, I'd say Heinen's was my first big break. Um, I was able to acquire Heinen's the year was 2014. I was a student at Hiram College. Um, I really didn't have much. I just had this applesauce in a glass jar with a label on it. Um, that's a whole nother story behind that, <laughs> how that came to be. But I would cold call Heinen's actually three, four times a week. Um, eventually, I got in touch with the buyer. Um, he says, drop off some product in Warrensville Heights at our corporate office. I paid a friend $10 in gas from Hiram College to Cleveland, Warrensville Heights to be able to drop that off. And then I followed up with them for about two months, usually every week, usually every other week. And one day he called me. I'm the buyer. I'm walking to the dining hall at Hiram where I made sandwiches for money. And he says, hey, I got around to trying that applesauce. Can you give me 3,000 units in the next three weeks? <laughs> and so for me, I was only making two to 300 units. Um, so I had to really scale up. And that built some credibility. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like a, a relentless persistence there. A lot, of, a lot of persistence, for sure. And I didn't know that was going to be my big break, but that led to Giant Eagle, Whole Foods, Kroger. Yeah. And a lot of people, investors and angels in Northeast Ohio, that kind of resonated or, or they recognized, you know, Heinen's. It was a big one. It was credible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So faced with, uh, you know, the, the really an order of magnitude increase mm-hmm. in the scale that you needed right, to even right. get that first big break. How did you approach, you know, mm-hmm. your own entrepreneurial journey in right. parallel with what the business needed and, right. you know, elevating yourself? Definitely. And- Great question. I'd say I had to work a lot with mentors and finding resources around me in Northeast Ohio. Um, one of the number one ones was Cleveland Culinary Launch Kitchen. Um, and so they taught me how to really get started commercially, how to get inside an incubator kitchen and how to approach these retailers. I also had to kind of figure out, OK, I'm a young student myself. How do I manage my schooling, um, what does my future look like? Unfortunately, I actually decided to leave school um, in my junior year and just really focus on the business and it paid off. Um, but now I'm kind of working on maybe even finishing my degree in the future. So what what was the the thinking around that decision? That's, that's a big decision. Uh, I just don't think I could handle, it was like, it was. I'll take a step back. It was my dream versus my education. And I said, I came to this school I came to get my education to follow my dream. And now I'm here. Um, I think I'm going to put 100% into it just because the, the grades are slipping, a lot of that. I said, I can always kind of finish school later. I have several credits, but this dream, this opportunity, it, I don't want to waste it, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. I mean, so, and obviously at this mm-hmm. point in time, you have the mm-hmm. the benefit of, mm-hmm. you know, knowing how it played out mm-hmm. and, and exactly. the implications of those decisions. 100%. And then- uh, I didn't graduate from Hiram College, but I go there several times a year and do presentations. And we're actually doing a program right now with their students where they're actually going to be selling our applesauce on campus. Um, so I think that's a full 360 moment from, you know, dreaming as a student to now having the students at the school selling it, you know. Did you have a, a vision at, at that point in time mm-hmm. for, for where mm-hmm. 
you wanted to take the the business? Uh, I don't think I had like it all in like uh, vision, like details. It wasn't in color. Let's say that the visuals weren't there, but I knew that I had something. I knew that there was a lot of opportunity um, that I wanted to grow this to be a several million dollar brand, very successful. And number one, kind of owning this lifestyle um, brand and being able to enter into other products and other categories for sure. So how, how do you handle entering a space where it's, you know, going back to that nostalgic mm-hmm. memory right, exactly. we all have of, of, you know, applesauce as a child and, you know, it's Mott's, you know, right, right. there, there's, there's a monopoly controlling correct, the lion's correct. share of this market. And it may surprise folks. Mm-hmm. It, it surprised me, you know, mm-hmm. I was learning about this space mm-hmm. uh, in preparation for this, <laughs> that, you know, applesauce is a, a billion dollar market. It is a billion dollar market. <laughs> correct. So, so how, how do you prevent the feeling of deterrence, you know, mm-hmm. just by the sheer scare of what, the scale of what you're going up That's against. a great question. I'd say I saw it as an opportunity. Um, when I first developed this concept, I wanted to create an applesauce for kids made by actual kids. Mm. So I said, that's going to be my position, my my gimmick. You could say, as things developed, I realized there was a lot of white space and opportunity. Mott's couldn't do certain things. They're actually owned by Dr. Pepper Snapple. Um, another big player is Go-Go Squeeze. They're owned by Matern, a French company. Um, they had limitations. They they had you know their own values with their brand, and they said we can't do these flavors. We're going to be very heavy focused on kids. And I saw adults love applesauce. Um, and, and there was this whole thing that was going in my mind: childhood favorites all grown up. So I said, how can we really encompass that and grow on that? So now we're looking at flavor profiles like pomegranate acai. Um, how do we introduce flavors that you typically don't see in applesauce? In components. So again, I saw it as an advantage. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. The, the really the, the opportunity from it being overlooked as, correct, a, as a space for innovation. And if you look at other categories, they've already done it. Ice cream, you know, condiments, all these different, um, you know, innovations that have come out of that. They have not done that with applesauce. It's just been flat. Yeah. What? Well, why? Uh, why do you think that's been the case? And, and maybe just, mm-hmm. you know, with that kind of yeah. set the, the landscape for mm-hmm. You know, the history of applesauce, right, you know, exactly. where, where is this as a, as a market? Uh, I would say that historically 80% of the spend is parents, you know, they're buying it for their family. So, you know, people don't want to overcomplicate it. And I've done a lot of data with parents, with our consumers. And what they say is, hey, I want to make sure that this is ap- this applesauce is healthy for my kids. I don't feel guilty feeding it to them. And then number two, if I feed it to them, are they going to continue eating it? Or am I going to waste my money? And so those two, three things, as well as no added sugar, I think those come to the minds of the parents. So I think it's just kind of taking a step further and saying, okay, we're already, you know, we like having fruits and vegetables on the go. We already maybe do rock climbing. How can we look at applesauce as that product as well? From, from soup to nuts, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or maybe that's not, maybe, you know, from tree to, right. to applesauce. Sure, I like <laughs> that part. <laughs> what does what the, the process look like and, and how has yeah. that evolved as Definitely. the business has evolved, evolved quite a bit. Well? So initially we would actually source all of our apples from local orchards here in Ohio. We get these 600 pound wooden bins of apples, typically golden delicious. From there, we're washing the fruit, we're peeling it, coring it, slicing it with automatic equipment. Then it's going through another water bath just to make sure there's no particulates, no seeds, stems. And then we're putting it in a steam jacketed kettle. Um, we're typically cooking, it could be about 200 gallons at a time, sometimes a little less, depending on the batch size. And then from there, we're adding pears, cooking it down in the apple cider and any additional ingredients You know, with that. We've now grown to using a contract manufacturer. There is no heated process. It's all through pressure. So it's like a pressurized system. Mm-hmm. Um, so no more stove tops or any of that. Um, and that's what we're doing now with our current manufacturer. Yep. Got it. 
And then I guess originally we were on a stove top in my mom's kitchen. Yeah, yeah. I had imagine it, it had evolved from you correct, know, this, correct. This, this homegrown process. Very to- uh, hands-on process over the last eight years to now. It's just uh, they do everything in like two days, you know, and that's 38, 40 pallets just in two days, you know. Mm. So, so take us through the, the evolution of the company. So I'd say early days, you know, I started a company. Well, let's say we entered the market officially in 2015, got our in with Heinen's in 2014, started seeing the product on the shelf beginning of 2015, and then got that credibility with the Giant Eagles that grew to Kroger. We then went through the Chobani Incubator, which allowed us to raise some capital, some other accelerators such as SKU and Coca-Cola um, and Atlanta. All of that basically put us on this trajectory where we're able to start raising capital um, over the last, let's say, three years. We're able to raise nearly a million dollars just uh, by the end of 2022, and that allowed us to make a pivot. And I think that's a very important word is just we looked at the company and said we have limitations with capacity. We're not that competitive compared to most of the players. So how can we rebrand, restart, as well as find a new manufacturing partner um, that meets all of our capabilities? So. That was kind of this last, I'd say, three-year period. Mm. Now, today, we're at Walmart. So definitely, we have one of the largest retailers. We're speaking of Sprouts. And then we have a line review at Target next month as well. So really trying to grow the brand. And we see a lot of opportunity. With the involvement in, in incubators, the, the rebrand, mm-hmm. the, the raising of capital, mm-hmm. I imagine you know, you've gone through dozens and dozens of, of pitches right. you know, as of part pitches, of that process. Right. Correct. What does that pitch sound like? You know, what 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 is the the vision of the future that that you have been painting with Definitely. this change in direction? So yeah, to just kind of speak on how that pitch is, you know, we've taken away the applesauce from Holmes Mouth Watering applesauce, and now the brand is just Holmes Mouth Watering. We're focused on creating this lifestyle brand that can introduce more products in other categories. We're really focused on home style inspired, um, and really showing elevate elevated versions of the norm, essentially, and that could be applesauce. Looking at maybe fruit juice, fruit snacks. So that's typically our pitch, far as like our our plan. If if you are mm-hmm successful mm-hmm. in the way that you envision success. And, right. you know, we could talk about what that means right. and, and the impact you want to have. What does mm-hmm. Homes Mouthwatering, you know, look like? Yeah, definitely. Well, we like to be, I guess, a brand that's known in your home, you know, household name. Um, we'd like to, again, develop other products in other similar categories, create change in our community. We're really focused on youth entrepreneurship, as well as feeding, you know, those that are hungry and, and underserved communities. So I'd say that's the future. I'm creating opportunities for our employees, stakeholders, partners, um, and really, again, just changing the world one apple at a time. Mm-hmm. So. So I want to mm-hmm. unpack a little bit this this concept of a, a sleepy category yep. and what that what that means and, and how you've approached it strategically. Mm-hmm. So the sleepy category, essentially, it's been flat. There's not been any innovation or opportunity for decades, specifically applesauce. If you go to any shelf in America, you're going to see your same colors, your yellows, your, your greens, your purples. And that's typically your go-go squeeze, your mots. And they have their own wall. Um, so there's been no players that have been able to kind of break into that category and create that innovation. So that's where that sleepy term comes from. Yep. What has uh, the reception been? You know, you, 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 a lot of people have, right. have, have had your applesauce Definitely. at this point. And, uh, yeah, so what we've heard, number one, is this is the best tasting applesauce we've ever had. Um, and so we're, we're really leaning into that, kind of like how can we make people understand or taste the difference um, through our flavor profile, through our formulations. 
innovation. So a lot of consumers have said, hey, we really like that you have this apple pie cinnamon. I've never seen this before in an applesauce. So we really want to lean into how are we naming our flavors? How are we looking at that R&D? Can we add energy to applesauce? Is there any, any other components or nutrients that we can bring to the space? So, so you had mentioned at, at the onset, you know, the 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 relentless persistence that mm-hmm. was required to really break into to Heinen's just a, a constant, you know, right. stream of, of of calling and following right. up. You, when you hear a brand, you know, mm-hmm. breaks into a, a a distribution channel like a mm-hmm. Walmart, right. you know, one of these enormous mm-hmm. right. stores, it feels a little bit like an opaque black box of mm-hmm. you know how that actually works, and right. so. Having gone through it, I love to understand yeah, how like, that process worked. Okay, yeah, yeah. so a lot of persistence again. I'd say you really want to be, um, I guess, opportunistic. One of the, I guess, things that came across my desk was uh, the Walmart Open Call event. So for those that are not familiar with the Walmart Open Call, you're able to apply via Range Me. You guys can do that next next July. Um, from there, they'll choose you by October for a one-on-one meeting. If chosen, then you get a chance to pitch to that buyer for entry into the, the retailer. We did that actually at the end of 2020. And so we actually got the approval by, I believe, beginning of 2021. Hey, we'll put you in about 300 doors in Walmart, we said, you know what, let's pause on that. We're working on a rebrand. We're working on a new contract manufacturer. We want to be well positioned so we can meet that demand. And so fast forward, as of last month, we were able to get on the shelves. Very tough process in terms of onboarding, dealing with their back end, which is a, a program called Retail Link. And then just, you know, being able to say, okay, how do we manage this store going forward, support it? Um, not a lot of communication, you know, with your buyer. It's not like other stores where you can just email or call them. So, but either either way, it's been very successful, and we're very happy with it. Sales have definitely been growing. So, I think we we've touched on this idea a little bit naturally yeah. over the things we talked about so far. But that you know, what got you here won't get you there, right? And the, this constant, you know, need sure. to you know reorient, change direction. You have to. Yep. <laughs> very important. How have you thought about you know? that concept and and what the you know what the organization itself mm-hmm. looks like today i'd say where we're at now is we're kind of going through our growth stage you know um, we have this new product line we don't have to invest a lot of our dollars or time into developing new SKUs. we're really just trying to say okay what is the best channel for us um, next month we'll be at the amusement park uh, food and concession show um, just last week, we got approval um, by the Cleveland Guardians to sell at the stadium. So we're saying, OK, can we grow in food service? Then looking at our team, our organizational structure, we've been outsourcing quite a bit, working with brokers. Um, it's time to start hiring. You know what I mean? Internally, um, what positions are key for us? Um, and then we're also raising capital. So how much cash do we really need? We've been, been very conservative, but our phase two plan, which is coming up for 2024, we're really going to be a lot more aggressive. That's like our plan and how we, we're looking at the company. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Pulling on that that thread a little bit. Mm-hmm. Are there any learnings that you've had in terms of things that you used to believe mm-hmm. or assumptions that you had about right. Right this question. space yeah. that you have learned through experience, mm-hmm. you know, maybe wasn't the case? I'd say one thing I learned, and I'll keep it simple, is that it's not as easy as I thought. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I know everybody can say that and feels that experience. But 
Um, I thought you could just put the product on the shelf, do some demonstrations, and from there you'd see the movement and everybody's going to be happy. But I started learning about this term velocity and units per store per week and understanding, okay, that's based on the number of doors you have. And even if you are selling very well in a certain amount of doors, if you're not selling in 70% of them, you know, that same input or output, then ultimately, you know, you're not doing well, you may get kicked out of that store. So looking at things more strategically, analytically, um, investing in data, I think that's a big thing that I've learned and that it's not just a, hey, you got the store, you're, you're good to go, you're a millionaire. You actually have to put that work and time in. Yeah. I it, think a lot, it, of, <laughs> a lot of entrepreneurs don't get that. Yeah, it, yeah. it is not as it's easy. not easy, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like a stage, but from there you still have to perform, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Otherwise, they'll, you know, they'll boo you. <laughs> what a... Uh... You know, as, as part of this journey have mm-hmm. been the, the biggest mm-hmm. adversities that, that you've overcome? Definitely a great question. I'd say number one, finances. Just, you know, being young, I didn't have much of a credit score. Um, nobody in my family had ever started a business. So or and I didn't have a lot of uh, friend and family like fund support. Um, so I had to really uh, bootstrap, you know what I mean, and utilize resources around me um, as well as just get the word out. So um, I did a lot of PR early on that built credibility. Heinen's and Giant Eagle were able to leverage those to start raising our first six-figure investment. So um, I think that that's definitely a big thing. And then being a young entrepreneur, I'm also a minority. So, you know, I always had that chip on my shoulder when I walk in the room. Here's a minority young entrepreneur. He's young. I don't know if we're going to respect him. So I usually have to make sure I'm working two, three times harder than the next person, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with that, what is it meant to build this company in Cleveland? You know, you mentioned Central Kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about Launch House right. before, but right. t- talk a little about the the support structure and yeah. and and what it was like to to build and grow it here. Definitely. So I I live and breathe Cleveland. I love Cleveland. I think it's a very unique city compared to many in the United States. Just where you can always expect something going on in terms of that normalization. Like um, there's nothing crazy. The traffic is always the same pattern. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's it's just something comfortable. And for me, it's a obtainable market. So I think that's the number one thing I want to get across. If Cleveland is an obtainable market for us, we were able to build a following there. There's you, uh, very unique retailers like Heinen's and Giant Eagle, Mark's, Dave's. They don't exist in other places. You have those large monopolies like Walmart, Kroger, That that's it. So um, I think Cleveland's a great place for entrepreneurship, specifically also the ecosystems. You have supporters like Cozy, Jumpstart, Urban League of Greater Cleveland Small Business Development Center. So all of those uh, resources I've been able to utilize to help grow my company. And I'm happy to continue, you know, headquarter our business here in the future. So. Are there pieces of this story that that I haven't talked about that you would like to? I'd say social entrepreneur, uh, social entrepreneurship, social enterprise. Just you know, that's a big part of our you know yeah, our yeah. focus. Well, I, yeah, I, and I know you do a lot of work mm-hmm. through the the homes yeah. uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneur initiative. initiative. I, I love the idea of mm-hmm. learning from what other people have already figured out. Mm-hmm. That's really, in in my opinion, kind of the whole exercise of, of what this podcast is about right. in a lot of ways and inspiring the next right. generation. And so I love what you're doing, you know, finding local students um, and, and showing them the opportunity to learn about what it is to start Definitely. a company and, Thank you. and entrepreneurship. And 
know, even, even earn some money doing definitely. it. But and I mean, it, take, take us through the, the... Yeah, definitely. I'll speak on that quickly. Um, it started off actually 2014 as a partnership with Youth Opportunities Unlimited right here in Cleveland. They said, hey, we have about 10 students. They want to come into your kitchen and make applesauce with you. You know, it'd be a one-time thing. We're paying them a little stipend. I said, okay, that's not a problem. And from there, the kids loved it. You know, it was very simple for them to peel the apples, to label the product. And many of them grew up in kind of inner city um, neighborhoods and they didn't, you know, maybe it wasn't the best, uh, you know, home situation. So they liked going to the kitchen. So it kind of became a regular process where now we had a group um, or two going every weekend, getting paid this stipend. Eventually that became too much, you know, as we grew the business. So we said, let's put these students in grocery stores. And so we were one of the first brands to ever be able to go to Whole Foods, Giant Eagle, Kroger and say, hey, we want to put students in your stores on a Saturday or Sunday. We were able to pay them a stipend through uh, Youth Opportunities Unlimited, and they were able to sell our product and learn customer service um, and some important, you know, skills. Um, from there, we've really grown into workshops um, virtually and in person. Just last week, we did a presentation for about 120 Kentucky students um, in high school. We're going to be actually in PA going on in about two weeks and then doing another presentation in October in Iowa. So we're all over the United States feeding these kids applesauce, teaching them entrepreneurship and Going forward, we want to create a curriculum um, where actually the teachers and educators can teach it to the students. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, you know, as you reflect on mm-hmm. just the, the whole uh, company building exercise, yeah. what do you feel were the kind of biggest mistakes you made along the way? And, Definitely. And what have you, you taken from those? I don't really look at mistakes as like true mistakes. I look at them as learning opportunities. If I could go back and change anything, I don't think I would change anything just because it just wasn't the right time for me in my stage as an entrepreneur. Maybe I didn't know enough. Maybe I needed to go through that failure. If I could go back and change things, I think I would innovate. Um, Well, I would have started off with something that was more competitive as a brand. I think we we started off very artisan, um, local feel, um, and then built up kind of to where we are today, where now we're, we have the capacity to you know do a million dollars plus. But back then, I think we wasted a lot of time and resources just kind of building up to that platform. If I would have known everything thing I learned in that process, then I would have saved eight years, 10 years, you know what I mean? And a lot of capital. How do you think about brand and, and what, what that even is? The brand itself, um, I'd say it's a representation of me, my story, um, the products, but we really want the product to stand on its own. Um, we wanted the theme to be Holmes applesauce of how I came up with the company, but um, we wanted the product for people to love it. They, you know, for the, the three pillars to be family, community, um, as well as quality. So we really want that to come across. Take us through, you know, the the packaging. And, Definitely, yeah. And- the evolution of that? Yeah. So what we did was uh, we worked with a company based out of Boulder, Colorado called Moxie Sozo. They've worked with a lot of large CPG brands, such as like Angry Orchards. We spent really about almost two years working with them. Number one was on the brand strategy itself. How does Holmes mouthwatering walk, talk? You know, how do we want consumers to feel when they look or taste our brand? Um, from there, we had to focus on the visuals. Um, we went through about 10 to 12 different revisions um, on that package with the pouches and the boxes itself. By the end of it, we had created six SKUs and we're able to, again, officially launch by you know, August. So expensive process costs us about $100,000, which is pretty inexpensive compared to some other you know, projects that they've worked on. But I'm very excited to work with them again in the future. So yeah, we amazing. loved it. 
Well, I think you know we have we have covered a lot of okay. ground here. Yeah, I, I do want to leave a little space. You know, if you feel that there is anything important about your journey personally, yeah. homes mouthwatering as a as a company that mm-hmm. that we haven't talked about yet. I guess we're currently sold at Walmart throughout all of the Ohio locations. For those that are in Northeast Ohio, um, you can also buy our product on our website and get free shipping. We're looking forward to really growing into more entities throughout Cleveland and the United States and look out for us, you know, in the future, just as we continue, you know, changing the world one app at a time. Well, I'll, uh, we'll close with our, our traditional closing question then, okay. which is uh, for mm-hmm. a hidden gem in Cleveland. I'd say Shaker Horseshoe Lake. Um, I oh, love yeah. going there. It's Beautiful. a great park. Um, I have a three-year-old now. I'm named Oliver. And then I just I had a three-month-old named Isla. Um, so me and my spouse love taking her there in the stroller. So definitely recommend it to anyone in Northeast right Ohio. Well, Ethan, I just want to thank you for coming on. If uh, if folks had anything that they wanted to follow up with you about, what would be the best um, way for them to yeah, do so? Yeah, so you can contact me at Ethan at HolmesApplesauce.com or you can visit us on the web at HolmesMouthWatering.com. Perfect. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.